1: A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. A pitching duel, a close game, a series won by the Guardians. What a weekend for Cleveland sports at least in baseball. It's today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn. I'm here with Lisa Garvin, Layla Tassi, and Laura Johnston. And did anybody watch that game, the five-hour game in its entirety? No.
2: More or less. <laughs> did you really?
1: <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't give up five hours. I did catch the winning home run, though, so I felt like I saw the whole game in a, in a couple of minutes. It's amazing. 39 strikeouts, you know, the longest 0-0 game in postseason history. But the Guardians ended up the winners, and now they go play the Yankees, which is, which is pretty cool. Laura, you, you have some Mets fans in your house. Will they be rooting for the Guardians or the Yankees?
0: Oh my god, the Guardians. <laughs> That's not a question. Mets fans everyone are hates not the Yankees. Yankees fans. And they are Guardians fans too. So it was it was sad that the Mets lost, but hey, the Yankees are coming back and eventually and the Midges are in town, so I feel good about this.
1: Yeah, the Midges are <laughs> Midges. our ally. <laughs> 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 okay. First game. And I guess they're late later games now, right? Because the Padres won. The games don't start till seven thirty. So we're gonna get lots of That's correct. Yeah, we're gonna get grassing because the headlines won't be in the plane dealer because the games will end after deadline. Oh well. Uh we'll have to look, this is a team that caught fire in September. You never know. They're not they shouldn't win. The Yankees have the better record. They got the home run star, but the team that gets hot in in September often does pretty well. It'll be fun to watch.
2: It really will. And it was nice to see the youngest team in the major leagues, you know, not very many veterans beyond Jose Ramirez, quite frankly. And it was kind of interesting. I kind of felt bad for Corey Kluber because he threw the pitch that Oscar Gonzalez whopped out of the stadium and won the game. So, yeah, it was some people say that's revenge, but I just kind of felt bad for the guy. (laughs)
1: Yeah. I I mean, it, it, it's kind of cool. I mean, there was that, that connection and I don't know. It it was, the whole thing was fun. Zero, zero into the 15th inning. That, That is just, well, it's unprecedented. Never seen it before. All right, let's move on to the news in the latest evidence that secrecy at Jobs Ohio deprives Ohioans of vital knowledge about how their government works and spends money. What gaffe did the city of Cleveland make that opened the window on the staggering sum Ohio was paying for direct flights to Ireland from Cleveland? Layla, this is a lot of money just so people who are Irish can go back to the homeland.
3: <laughs> right. So, Jobs Ohio, which is the private economic development arm of state government, typically doesn't reveal detailed financial commitments to individual businesses. Their argument is that secrecy is needed when they're negotiating with private firms. But in this case, an early version of a City of Cleveland document. That was uploaded to a city website included the jobs ohio contribution to bring air lingus here and it was later updated and the jobs ohio contribution was deleted but it was too late because our reporters had already spotted it and it turns out that jobs ohio was kicking in is kicking in 9.4 million dollars on top of a collective $2.4 million from the city of Cleveland, Cuyahoga County, and the Greater Cleveland Partnership. So that's a total of $11.8 million incentives. Uh, you know, it's, it's likely the largest financial contribution ever, <clears throat> pardon me, committed to to help convince an airline to fly from an airport in Ohio though you know i mean it's important to note that the incentive for air lingus is not a grant or a direct subsidy it's it's a minimum revenue guarantee it's payable only if the flight doesn't meet certain monthly performance goals so it takes the risk out of starting up service in a new city that's the point other airlines have received direct subsidies but uh but yeah that's the that's the 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 faux pas that led to everyone finding out exactly how much was yeah, being
1: committed to this. And and their claims that oh, you know, this this would hurt our ability to to lure business, that's a lot of hooey. I mean, they're they're keeping it secret. It shouldn't be secret. It's the public's business. That's a lot of money to pay to have a flight come <laughs> to Cleveland. If you think about all the other ways you could use that money that would benefit a greater number of people. I'm I just I, you really do have to question it. They had the story has people talking about the economic development benefits but they sound kind of hollow, no.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's didn't it sound like it was all right around the airport? I mean, it was like I mean, I, I don't know. I didn't it didn't feel like it was um I mean, they were talking about millions of dollars in economic benefits, but it felt yeah. like it was all very localized. Um yeah, I don't know. Yeah,
1: that that people I mean, in Europe might come through Cleveland because of some discount. It's not going to be a cheap flight, though. I I don't know. The whole thing just raises questions. Jobs Ohio should not be keeping this kind of thing secret. And again, if it weren't for Cleveland making a mistake, we wouldn't know. I mean, Cleveland should reveal this. Everybody involved in public life should be revealing what the public is spending. It's the public's business. And, And John Kasich created Jobs Ohio. We've been dogged by secrecy ever since. This is an eye opener, and I just I, I look at Cleveland neighborhoods and other places that could use a boost of economic development, and you wonder: is this the best use of millions of dollars?
3: And and what's the argument against making it public exactly? Is it that it makes it difficult to negotiate these with airlines in the future? I, that, that they look at this deal and that's and they want something as sweet as that? Is is that yeah, the that's, point?
1: That's what they're that's what they're trying to say. But I'm not buying it. I think they're keeping it secret because I think many people are going to look at it and think it's a bit outrageous that you're paying all this mm-hmm. money to get a flight in here when there are questionable economic benefits. I'm sure there'll be a study down the road that says this has been worth $3 billion to Cleveland with all sorts of questionable numbers. This, this just doesn't feel like it's a good use of public dollars. Yeah, It's today in Ohio. The scandal about cheating in a Lake Erie walleye contest was a huge story a week ago, so we spent some time looking at just what is going on in this case and competitive fishing overall. Laura, what did we learn?
0: Well, basically, that this happens in in fishing. The vast majority of people who enter these competitions are honest anglers who play by the rules, but it's not uncommon to have cheating because of the such big uh, prizes offered and the huge number of people spread out over huge... Areas fishing. So, we, I mean, the fall brawl, which is starting up again, has 12,000 anglers from 37 states last year. Think about trying to police all that. And this is just a small group of of fishermen who started the thing. It's not like a big corporation that's running it. So, um, Jake Runyon of Ashtabula and his partner, Kaminsky from Hermitage, uh Pennsylvania, they're the ones who got caught in this last event. They were trying to win $30,000, I believe. And that was the third one in a row that they had supposedly won. So think about what was happening in those other two contests. And last year, they were disqualified after failing a lie detector test from the fall brawl.
1: So the, the, they could be prosecuted, right? This yes. could be viewed as a crime. So that's the next we're step. We're still
0: waiting to find that out. Yep. Right. And 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 there are lots of things that people do like the lie detector test. You could people say you could run the fish through metal detectors, but that wouldn't detect other every form of cheating. You can't put a video you know, on on every boat, a camera to capture it all. You can't have a witness on every boat. But you they the way they caught this one is they cut into the fish, right, and found the weights, the sinkers in there. And that seems like a pretty obvious way of cheating. But these two guys, um, there were rumors leading up to this derby that – that they were too good. I love this quote that Corey Shea forgot. What these guys were doing was like the equivalent of Michael Jordan, LeBron James, and Tiger Woods all rolled into one. And prior to this alleged cheating, these guys weren't exactly Michael Jordan because the best they had ever come in was 13th out of 15th in a competition.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I guess the attraction of the money, the purses are just so big that it induces people to cheat. I wonder what would happen if they just gave out trophies.
0: Right. I don't think you'd get 12,000 anglers from 37 states trying to compete. But isn't it funny that like fishing has this reputation for like having tall tails? Like I caught this whopper of a fish and it was this big. And you can't do that when you're actually competing for these giant prizes. Like you have to have the goods to back it up. And I mean, obviously, I think the reason there was so much outrage and the reason these guys were like, Automatically bombarded with people screaming at them in a parking lot was because people do take it so seriously, and they 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 want the the pureness of the competition. And this isn't something you you want to see cheating in.
3: Or is this the only sport that involves a polygraph?
0: I doubt it. There's got to be something <laughs> I can't, else.
3: What else out there do you need to take a lie detector test for? I can't think of another sport that would. <laughs> Fall into that category.
1: Maybe what they need to do is change the contest around so that you give the award to the most ingenious strategy for cheating. <laughs> i mean they've come up with so many there's i mean the putting the ice in because it melts and it destroys the evidence there's all sorts of things you know bringing fish in a cage and and having them at the ready and all the these things i mean it's it's you got to give these guys points for being kind of smart these guys (sighs) these two guys were dopes because they went about it so stupidly but it seems like others have been far far more wily it's today in ohio We had big news late Friday about abortion. It remains legal in Ohio, at least for the foreseeable future. How did that happen in a state that instituted a heartbeat ban immediately after Roe v. Wade was overturned? Lisa.
2: Yeah, on Friday, after five hours of testimony from both sides, Hamilton County Common Pleas Judge Christian Jenkins issued a preliminary injunction against the House Bill 23 fetal heartbeat law. This replaces two temporary restraining orders he issued previously that were set to expire this Wednesday. So a preliminary injunction means that they really it means that abortion is legal up to 22 weeks in Ohio, quite simply. Um, And it may take up to a year for all of this to work through the courts. So we'll see, you know, so, you know, abortion is illegal again in Ohio. They did have both sides had their own doctors and bioethicists talk, you know, and of course they came to divergent opinions. But in his ruling, uh, Judge Jenkins said that uh, Senate Bill 23 was written in such a way as to almost completely eliminate the rights of Ohio women. And he also said that abortion providers who brought this lawsuit uh, showed convincing evidence that they will succeed with the merits of their case. So hmm, it seems like there's a little telegraphing there. And there was a... Uh, Uh, like I said, several doctors who testified on both sides, Dr. Stephen Ralston, who's from the university of Maryland. He's a high risk pregnancy specialist. He says the law is way too vague to cover any complications that may arise during a pregnancy. And he says, you know, consulting and getting an opinion from another doctor won't help them interpret a very vague statute. But on the other hand, Dr. Michael Parker, who's from Columbus, he's an OBGYN and former president of the Catholic Medical Association, he says the law is absolutely clear and easy to understand. He says that being open-ended is appropriate because the decision-making process shouldn't be hindered by a legislative cap.
1: Well, there was the, the one case that was in the story in which a woman came in and had a medical reason for needing an abortion, mm-hmm. and the doctor sought consultancy with the woman's non OBGYN doctor and that doctor wouldn't do it. And the state was saying, well, you don't need that, but, but doctors are afraid if they make the wrong call, they go to prison. And so that's part of the problem with this Mm -hmm. law. I'm not quite sure how the, the technicalities of this court process work since, since this case is in the court and it hasn't been decided, is there any right to appeal Just the part about the temporary restraining order. So so could the state go to a higher court just to get the restraining order lifted while it goes through? Or does it have to remain in this court until it's resolved? I don't think we know the
2: answer to that. Yeah, I, I don't think we do. And the reason this landed in uh, Judge Jenkins' court is that the uh, the abortion bri- providers who were contesting the constitutionality of the fetal heartbeat law got tired of the Supreme Court. They couldn't wait on the Supreme Court because women were suffering and you know, women weren't getting the care that they wanted and needed. So I honestly don't know how this is going to work out. But it, it looks, and a preliminary injunction is really the the last step before something becomes permanent. So, you know, we could have up to a year before this is all resolved. Except the
1: the legislature comes back in a lame duck session right after election day and they're hell bent on banning abortion outright. So the whole thing could be moot. What this does is it, well, it pretty much guarantees a right to abortion through election day. Uh, I just Mm -hmm. wonder about that appeal. Interesting case it's, uh, It's all, I mean, the legislature plans to make it moot, but as we're reporting today and we'll be talking about tomorrow, most of Ohioans don't agree with making abortion illegal. Lots of good findings to come from a Baldwin-Wallace poll today. It's today in Ohio. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows, and they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So, optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60 day trial now at shipstation.com and use the code POD. That's shipstation.com with the code POD. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people, and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at microsoft.com/slash AI for all. Ohio Governor Mike DeWine got caught in a pretty big case of hypocrisy with his new political ad attacking his re-election challenger Nan Whaley. Or how big a stumble was this?
0: I love this story. I don't think it's going to cost Dewine anything, but he's airing this new TV attack ad that criticizes his opponent, Nan Whaley, for supporting the American Rescue Plan Act, which we all, you know, call ARPA, and it's the coronavirus relief bill that funneled, you know, billions of dollars into the economy. And so he's saying she supports that. It's like, okay, Mike DeWine, you've been touting all of these improvements and money and grants that you're putting into. All sorts of projects from first responders to water projects to whatever he can come up with in news releases coming out. And all of that is coming from this bill that he says he doesn't support. And this is part of a statewide multi million dollar ad buy. So he's critiquing her for supporting it, but then he's taking credit for all of the grants that are coming from it.
1: Yeah, I mean, it is. He is trying to have it both ways. I'm a little bit surprised he's airing an attack ad at all because yeah. every sign is. He's trouncing her. And so he didn't need to do this. He could have just kept going the way he's been going without without. Now he's set himself up to be called a hypocrite. He's run all over the state saying, look at the money I'm spending. Look at look what I'm bringing to you And, and then attacking her for supporting the source of that money.
0: Yeah, his team basically said that it's not hypocritical because he didn't support it, but he wasn't supposed to give away free money that he's doing what he can for the best of Ohioans. But Nan Whaley definitely jumped on it and said, if Governor DeWine wants to remind Ohioans that Nan is responsible for helping to pass legislation that's provided funding for Ohio's community to hire more police officers, increase mental health resources and make our school safer, then he's welcome to do so.
1: Well, I, I don't know how they can get away with saying it's not hypocrisy. It's the definition of hypocrisy. And we have some more hypocrisy to talk about next. It's Today in Ohio. Sticking with that subject of hypocrisy and elected leaders, Tom Patton says he is proud of a bill he introduced to freeze property taxes for seniors in Cuyahoga County. Layla, what's the bill about and what is the hypocrisy here? Well, Tom
3: Patton introduced House Bill 726 last week, which would grant counties with populations greater than a million. So, in other words only us, Cuyahoga County, the ability to freeze taxes for homeowners over the age of 60 and with a total income less than $50,000. And that would have to be approved by county council and the executive. Residents would have to apply for the reduction, but it would fix their property tax bills at the same rate until the homeowner either dies or the home uh, transfers, uh, unless it transfers to a surviving spouse who also meets those same qualifications. This would basically achieve what county executive candidate Lee Weingart has been pitching with his rollback and freeze concept. I mean, in essence, that's that's what this is aiming at. But Patton has said in interviews, he said in interviews with us that, you know, even though his this program would shift some of the tax burden onto the rest of us, he sees his bill as a way of keeping seniors in their homes while also giving school levies a batch of senior voters who are less likely to vote no on levies because they wouldn't be the ones dealing with the tax hike. So he is, you know, so excited about this. And he's tried in the past to have this bill, you know, to get this bill passed, I think twice before with no success statewide. And uh, so he's excited to try it out on kind of a pilot basis here in Cuyahoga County. Well, Lucky for us, our Rich Exner's institutional memory dredged up this fun fact, (laughs) that in 2013, it was the GOP-led legislature, including Patton, apparently, that gutted a significant property tax cut for seniors. All seniors used to get a $25,000 market value break on their properties. It saved seniors hundreds of dollars a year on their taxes, Patton was a state senator at the time and apparently voted to end that tax break with his colleagues for all but the lowest income seniors, those whose adjusted income was below $30,500 a year, excluding Social Security and certain pensions. At that time, however, the money that was saved on the backs of seniors went into state coffers for the state's budget priorities. And in this case, Patton gets to look like the hero of senior citizens with this uh, Cuyahoga County tax tax freeze while the loss to tax revenue happens on the local level. So, boo. Yeah,
1: there's no reimbursement. I don't really understand how you can justify making this available in one county in all of Ohio. I, I, I get that Lee Weingart wants that and he's running to be the county executive, but if I'm a state legislator and I think this is the right thing to do, you know I mean, is it just seniors in Cuyahoga County that are being hurt by the economy? <laughs> it doesn't
3: make yeah, sense. I mean, that's a great point. I think that he was just, you know, he thought that getting it passed in one county would show, you know, how successful it it would be and how popular it would be. And so he's trying to pilot it just here. Um, so that he could make an example of it and then try to get it done statewide. Or he's
1: doing a favor for a Republican friend who he's hoping will get some extra votes out of it, even though he's voted against the exact same thing previously.
3: Yeah, because also you know this this has to be reintroduced, and even if this f- falls flat on its face, it already has done the uh, you know the political work for Lee Weingart because it looks like his idea caught fire, right? So except
1: um, he, Lee Weingart came out with this idea and had no idea about how to do it. When we started doing the homework and found, <laughs> right? well, you can't do that. You you, you you I mean it was it was one of those. He has this idea, and when you start drilling into what you're going to do, he's like, well, if I can't do it that way, I'll freeze the appraisal. You can't freeze an appraisal. I mean, it was just, it's another one of those ideas Lee Weingart has come up with where there's no there there, and our reporters do all the work to find out how it would work.
3: Right. So. I think this this was his plan C to get it done, yeah. <laughs> it was to have someone in the statehouse put it
1: forward. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know how much of a chance it has of passing. It's today in Ohio. Reporter Pete Krause published a frightening story about an invasive carp that actually has shown up in Lake Erie. Lisa, which carp is it and why is this bad news?
2: Yeah, carp are just bad news all around. (laughs) You know, they're very invasive and they eat vegetation that, uh, you know— keeps wetlands in place and, you know, and 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 staves off erosion. So this all began 10 years ago. There were four grass carp. This is the car, type of carp we're talking about. They were pulled from the Sandusky River. And so biologists across the state got suspicious and, and saw a few red flags. So they started to investigate and they found that these carp were diploid. And what that means is that they have two sets of chromosomes and they're fertile, so they can reproduce and lay eggs. Um, back in the 1980s, they developed carp that are called triploid carp. They add, they develop a third set of chromosomes when the fertilized eggs undergo a thermal shock, so that makes them infertile. They were developed back in the 1980s, but these were not them. So in 2015, grass carp eggs were found in the Sandusky River near Brady's Island in Fremont, so biologists really really kicked into overdrive then they're not sure where these, these grass cart came from. Could they be improperly discarded bait? Could they have escaped from a private pond or lake during a flood? They really don't know, but uh, the ODNR, the, Department of Natural Resources is working with its counterpart in Michigan, U.S. Fish and Wildlife, Great Lakes Fishery Commission, and they're doing an aggressive catch and removal program at the Sandusky and Maumee Rivers. They're using nets and electro fishing gear, and they're actually catching multiple grass carp a day. So that's pretty scary. And that, this is during the spawning season in the spring. So they're looking at other ways. Yeah, you know, we had talked on a podcast months ago about how they're upstream, in Lake Michigan and others, they're using barriers, noise barriers, bubble barriers, electric barriers to keep them from coming into the Great Lakes. And they're also looking at plants that they can use as bait to lure the grass carp.
1: But if they're here, isn't it too late? I mean, if if they've already taken hold, we can catch as many as we want. We're never going to catch 100% of them.
2: Well, yes, but whatever you can take out of the lake, I think is, is an improvement. I think that the the danger of these carp is is just not to be overstated.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. It's a danger, but if they're here, I, it sounds like the best we can do is just forevermore be trying to reduce their population by catching them. Be a great job, I guess. That's what you do all day is fish, and you don't even have to cheat to get paid. It's Today in Ohio. Pete also had some bad news about the salt deposits that have wrecked the ecology of the Mentor Marsh. We discussed the salt problem in a recent podcast, as none of us had been aware of its history.
0: What's the new round of bad news, Laura? it's going to cost more money another 3 million dollars to clean up this infamous salt fill site that contaminated the marsh decades ago that brings the cost of the remediation project to more than 13.5 million total so they started doing the work they began excavation this year and they found 50,000 tons of additional salt unexpected had no idea this was at greater depth so there's also increased costs for fuel heavy equipment wastewater disposal like everything else it's more expensive than you thought it was going to be
1: yeah i mean after we just talked about this and how there was light at the end of the tunnel this is bad news It's today in Ohio. We're going to give you back five minutes. Laura's got to jump on a call with Baldwin-Wallace University about that poll, and we're ending so she can do it. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Layla. Thanks, Laura. Thank you for listening to this podcast.